Welcome to the Resurrection Church Podcast. Resurrection Church exists for the glory of God and the joy of His people. If you're looking for a church in the upstate of South Carolina, please join us at 9 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 900 North Main Street in Greer, South Carolina. We pray you'll be blessed by this message. I'm Andy. I'm one of the elders here at Resurrection Church. I want to welcome you. It's nice we have a packed house. I, th- I think that's probably because of one service, but maybe also because there's some crock pots waiting down there. Um, before we get our bellies full and satisfied that way, our souls need to be satisfied. We need to have another meal first. Um, I want to welcome the visitors. I, I know I've spoken to one. So glad you're here. Um, and I hope you encounter Jesus this morning in his text. Uh, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21. Uh, we're nearing the end of 21, hoping to finish it today. I'm actually going to back up and uh, read more of chapter 21 because it gives context uh, to the passage this morning. I'll be starting in verse 5 of chapter 21, Luke chapter 21. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once." Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, which none of your, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish by your endurance you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people, They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. 
Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he said to them in a parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see the, these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going on, that are going to take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet, and early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, to, be God. to God. Thank you, Andy. Um, just FYI, we uh, fifth Sundays we take a little bit more time than we usually do. Okay, so it's I know what the hour is, but you know what? You got no excuse because you don't have to rush to the buffet today because we got soup. Right? All right. Um, the question at hand in Luke twenty-one, we're picking up in the middle of Jesus' prophetic discourse on historical events that he prophesied would take place about 40 years before they happened. We're talking about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD. And the question at hand, when Jesus predicts that the temple is coming down, the question the disciples pose to him is, when? When are these things going to happen? And Jesus launches, this is what we looked at last week, verses 8 to 24. He launches into a prophetic description of the events leading up to 70 AD and what that destruction is actually going to be like when it happens. That's 8 to 24. He also told them in those verses we looked at last week, he gave them some instructions about what to do when they see these things take place. This is what we talked about last week. He tells them, don't be led astray by false teachers and false messiahs. Don't be terrified and afraid when these things start to take place. Don't even worry about what you're going to say when you're arrested and questioned. And even though all of you are going to be persecuted and some of you martyred, you will endure and you will gain your lives. That's what he told them. And then he gave them this. Andy just read it. Verse 22 of chapter 21. He makes something abundantly clear right here. This destruction of the temple and with it Jerusalem that occurred in 70 AD was not merely a reaction from God because the Jews rejected their Messiah. It's not a reaction. Okay? God's not just reacting to what they did. Look at verse 22. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all, everybody say all, that is written. In other words, AD 70 is and was judgment from God. There's no doubt about that. God's judgment fell on Jerusalem and on the temple. And it wasn't a reaction. 
this was only and always God's plan. Which is a hard pill to swallow. But you remember in John chapter 4 when Jesus goes into Samaria and he meets with the woman at the well and he reads her mail. You know, she's got a, a relationship problem. And after Jesus addresses that, she poses a question to him. She says, I see that you're a prophet. The Jews say we got to worship on that mountain. What's that mountain? That's the temple mount in Jerusalem. But our fathers, talking about the Samaritans, they told us we're to worship on this mountain. And the mountain they're on in Samaria is a mountain in which Abraham, Jacob, and Moses had altars built to Yahweh. And so her question to Jesus is basically, which is it? Who's right and who's wrong? And Jesus says, we know this, right? He says, listen, I'm going to tell you there's a day coming when worshipers won't worship on this mountain or that mountain because God is looking for worshipers to worship him how? That might have been the first prophetic announcement that the temple order was coming to an end. John chapter 4. Jesus made it known. It's always been God's intention that people from all nations would worship him in spirit and in truth. And I imagine when Jesus, in Luke 21, told the disciples, this temple's coming down, it was impossible for them to fathom, but that's exactly what happened. Again, this is still review. Talked about this last week. In AD 66, the Jews, fueled at least in part, if not primarily, by misguided messianic understanding. They mounted a revolt against Rome. Because of that revolt, the Roman, Rome responded, and eventually Titus, under orders from Emperor Vespasian, breached the city walls of Jerusalem in 70 AD. They leveled the temple. They burned the city. They killed 1.1 million Jews, took another 100,000 captive, and many historians and biblical scholars say that this, was a, this issued in, ushered in a time of suffering like the world has never seen before or since. It was a horrible, horrible day that was a planned judgment. That's where we're at. Jesus predicted that. And as if we needed any further proof that Jesus is a true prophet, all that he's prophesied came to pass. Everything that he said came to pass because Jesus is a true prophet. That's how you tell who's a true prophet. Now as we come to verses 25 and following, many people, pastors, Bible scholars, believe that Jesus has now shifted from talking about 70 AD to talking about the second coming. Did some of that that Andy read sound like the second coming to you? Okay, we're going to talk about it. I understand how people come to that conclusion. I've believed that for many years. When you hear Jesus talk about calamities in the solar system, sun, moon, and stars, the powers of the heavens being shaken, and the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, what do you think of? You think of the Left Behind series, don't you? I see how people get there. But let me be straight with you. The more I've studied this, the more I don't think Jesus' primary focus is on his second coming. Let me be clear about this. 100%, the Bible declares Jesus will come again. Just because I don't think, and, I, and the elders are in agreement here, that this is about the second coming doesn't mean we don't think there's going to be a second coming. 
The Bible's clear about that, okay? Jesus will come again. We're also 100% confident that God is a consistent God. He's consistent, which means what? It means that there are certainly, probably, things that we can learn from Luke 21 that might be pointing us to some of what his second coming might entail, what it might be like, because God is a consistent God. So it's not that there's nothing that we can take away and go, you know what, that might be true of the second coming. But here's what we've got to do, is we've got to ask the question, what is Jesus focused on when he's talking to his disciples, responding to their question, Lord, when are these things going to happen? Let's go at it just like that. What's he saying to his disciples, and what does he intend for them to understand? Is that fair? You with me? All right, fresh minds, fresh eyes. Let's not read into the text what we think it might say, what we hope it might say. Let's just look at what Jesus did say. Verse 25. And there will be signs in sun, moon, and stars, and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting in fear with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. How many of you agree with me on this? There's more going on than we can see. I expected a robust amen to that. I believe every human being whether they're a Christian or not, knows that. They sense that. Even if they deny it. That's just my personal opinion. I might be wrong. You might think I'm wrong. You've been wrong before. (laughs) I think everybody knows that. There's more going on than we can see. And I think Christians have a heightened sense of that. Because of the harmonious work of the Spirit of God and the Word of God in us, we have a robust sense, Christians, there's more going on than we can see. And it's all over the Bible. Isaiah chapter 6, it's in a very tumultuous time in the history of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, and God peels back the veil. It's a very distressing time. The king's a leper, and he's dying. Actually, he's already died, King Uzziah, and God just peels back the veil and lets Isaiah see his throne. And he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up in the train of his robe, filled the temple. There's more going on than we can see. When Jesus sent out the 70 in Luke chapter 10, he goes out and he commissions them. He says, go and proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near to you. And whatever town you go into, if they receive you, heal the sick, cast out demons, and proclaim the kingdom of God has come near to you. And they come back after that mission trip jazzed. Jesus, even the demons, are subject to us in your name. You know what he says back to them? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I don't think Jesus was talking about some event in eternity past where Satan got his butt kicked out of heaven. I think he's saying to them, as you went out in my name, I saw Satan's kingdom crumbling. There's more going on than we can see. The apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, he said this, you know this, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There's more going on than we can see. 
And pretty much the whole book of Revelation is apocalyptic language that tells us one thing. There's more going on than we can see. So, in verses 25 to 27, when he talks about sun, moon, and stars, about the powers of the heavens being shaken, and the Son of Man coming with the clouds with great power and glory, fundamentally, here's what's happening. This is so huge. He's using Old Testament language to tell his followers, after he's told them about all the calamity and what's going to happen to them and what they're going to see happen when this judgment falls in 70 AD, he's now giving them Old Testament language they're familiar with to say this, there's more going on than you can see. I asked Andy to do some research on this sun, moon, and stars language, and he, he did, and it was so helpful to me. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 13. Isaiah, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Okay, just go to Psalms, take a right. You'll get there. Isaiah chapter 13, beginning in verse 6. <clears throat> this is a pro prophecy that God gave Isaiah about coming judgment. Everybody say judgment. Coming judgment on Babylon. Verse 6. Well, for the day of the Lord is near, as destruction from the Almighty it will come, therefore all hands will be feeble, every human heart will melt, they will be dismayed, pangs and agony will seize them, they will be in anguish like a woman in labor, they will look aghast at one another, their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, and to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. Listen to this. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. That's a prophecy about a coming judgment on Babylon. And we see sun, moon, and stars, the day of the Lord, and judgment. Everybody say judgment. All right, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 32. Just take a right from Isaiah. Ezekiel 32 Beginning in verse 3, Ezekiel 32, verse 3. <clears throat> Love the pages. Can you hear my water, please, babe? Thank you. Are you there? Thus says the Lord God, verse 3, I will throw my net over you. This is about a coming judgment on Pharaoh and Egypt. I will throw my net over you with a host of many peoples, and they will haul you up in my dragnet. And I will cast you on the ground on the open field. I will fling you and will cause the birds of the heavens to settle on you, and I will gorge the beast of the whole earth with you. This is bad judgment. I will, uh, I will strew your flesh upon the mountains and fill the valleys with your carcasses. I will drench the land with your mountains even to the mountains, and with your flowing blood and the ravines will be full of you. When I, blot, when I blot you out, I will cover the heavens and make their stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud and the moon shall not give its light. What do we see? Sun, moon, and stars, judgment, the day of the Lord. What's the point? Point is, when Jesus started to talk about sun, 
moon, and stars. This celestial terminology, decreation language. You with me? When he started to talk about that, their ears would have perked up. And remember, he's addressing them directly. This is for their benefit. The temple's coming down, disciples. When, Lord? And he goes on this whole thing about what's going to happen and what's going to happen before this and what they should expect and what are their instructions. And now he starts to talk about this sun, moon, and stars language, which we start to just eyes glaze over because we're like, what is he even talking about? The disciples would have known. Oh, that's synonymous with God's judgment in the Old Testament. It's judgment language, folks. And I personally... I don't think it's just metaphorical. I think it is metaphor. It's not less than that. But I think it's also God's way through prophets of old and now through Jesus to let us know when his judgment falls and it manifests on the earth, regardless of how it manifests. In this text, we got perplexity. We got distress. We got instructions to run, it's going to be bad, the temple's coming down. However that judgment manifests on the earth, there's more going on than we can see. So what about 70 AD? If this decreation language is part of that, what what are we to understand about that? Let's go to Joel 2. Joel chapter 2, beginning of verse 28. Forty days after Jesus rose, what happened? Pentecost, the Spirit was poured out, right? Joel 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward, Peter quoted this at Pentecost. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Pentecost was both a fulfillment of that prophecy and an inaugural moment for the church to experience this in spades. You got it? That happened 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. 40 years, a little less than 40 years, after he died, rose, and ascended, I think this happened. Keep reading. Verse 30. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. What do you see? Signs in the earth and signs in the, signs in the realm we can see and signs in the realm we can't see. The sun shall be, verse 31, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, that's pretty specific. You got it? There shall be those who escape. What did Jesus tell his followers to do? When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, get out of there. I think Joel's talking about that even before Jesus did. There shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. 
I think when Jesus started talking about sun, moon, and stars, the disciples would have gone, oh, this is judgment. God's judgment is falling. And I think this, there's more going on than we can see. The powers of the heavens are going to be shaken. That means agitated, disturbed. This is not cryptic language that Jesus is using to talk about his second coming, an event that would be thousands of years after their lifetime. If that's the case, this is of little to no benefit to them. This is Jesus telling his disciples what is ahead of them and using language that they would have understood. How many of you understand God is a fantastic, effective communicator? <laughs> we shouldn't think any less of him, that he would do any less than that. Remember Daniel in the lion's den? That's a story you learned in Sunday school, right? What's going on there? Daniel is, is a prophet of Yahweh. He's in exile with you know, lots of fellow Jews. And there's a pagan king who gets kind of coerced into to leveling this edict that he's the only one that can be prayed to. You pray to anybody else, you're going to get thrown to the lions. Well, Daniel's faithful, and he keeps praying how many times a day? Three times a day. He's praying. He gets arrested, and he gets thrown into the lion's den. What's interesting is right after that amazing event in Daniel's life, Daniel has a vision. And guess what his vision is of? He sees four beasts. Isn't it interesting that right after he got thrown into a den with beasts, real like tangible beasts, those are real lions, he has a vision about four big, powerful, scary, destructive beasts. What's God doing? I think he's communicating. Because what did God do when Daniel was in that lion's den? He shut the mouths of the beasts. Now Daniel sees a vision of these four big, scary beasts and as he's looking at that, as he's staring at this vision, look what he says. Just look on the screen. Daniel 7, verse 9. He said, as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days, who's, is that? who's that? That's Yahweh. Yahweh. I love that title. Ancient of Days. It makes me shudder. The Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire, and a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. And I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed." and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. There's a lot there, but just minimally, what do you see? God's a big God. I think those four beasts represent world powers, kings and kingdoms. And what happens? One's destroyed and the others are dethroned when the Ancient of Days takes his seat. God's in control. You, you thought I did something in the lion's den, Daniel? There's more going on than you can see, Daniel. 
And Daniel keeps looking. Verse 13. Same vision. I saw in the night visions, and behold, listen to this, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Who's he talking about? That's Jesus. There came one like the son of man, and he came to, everybody say to, to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Wow. Daniel saw something, didn't he? And how many of you understand that these... Old Testament savvy disciples of Jesus, when he starts talking about they, who's the they? Verse 27, the powers of the heavens. Read it again. <coughs> he says, in the powers, then they, the powers of the heavens, he just said the powers of the heavens are going to be shaken, verse 26. And then they, verse 27, the powers of the heavens will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. I think those disciples would have gone, ding, ding, ding. That's what Daniel saw. And what Daniel saw was the Son of Man not coming from heaven to earth, but coming with the clouds to Everybody say two. The ancient of days. The disciples in Acts chapter one, they saw part of Jesus' ascension with their natural eye. He was lifted up before their eyes and a cloud enveloped him. That was part one. What they didn't see with their natural eye, but I think eventually they connected the dots was that he ascended to the Ancient of Days and was presented before the Ancient of Days as the spotless lamb. And he was given a dominion and a kingdom and a power that will never end. And though the disciples didn't see that with their natural eye, guess what? The powers of the heavens did, and they were shaken. There's more going on than we can see. Remember the morning Jesus rose? <clears throat> Mary Magdalene saw Jesus in the garden, but she didn't recognize him at first. She thought he was the gardener. Where, where, where have you taken the body? If you've done it, just tell me. And then he called her name, Mary. And her eyes were opened. She saw him and she said, Rabboni, teacher, it's you. And he says, I'll read it to you. John 20, verse 17. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God, who is the Ancient of Days. And he, the Son of Man, has been given the name that is above every name. There's more going on than we can see. Now, that's my take. 
I think that's a faithful reading of Luke 21, and I'm open to some healthy debate on this. But I think if we were to consider what is it that Jesus wants his disciples to know and understand in this moment, I'll summarize it. The temple's coming down. That's number one. Number two, this terrible day is a day of judgment from God. Number three, the manifestations of that judgment that you will see on earth are in fact indications, pointers, that there's more going on than you can see. And all of this, all of this is to fulfill what was written. It's God's plan A, and he's only and always been working that plan A. Verse 28. Now, when you see these things begin to take place, straighten up, your, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees, and as soon as they come out and leave, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already here. How many of you are ready for summer? Amen. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Four things Jesus tells his disciples they must know. In addition to everything that he said, four things that they must know. Number one, Know that this day of judgment is your day of deliverance. When these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. That word redemption means a release affected by the payment of ransom. This is Jesus telling them, when you see these things happen and the world around you is crumbling in terror and fear and perplexity, you straighten up. You pick your heads up. You poke your chest out. Don't go too far with that. Because your redemption has come near. What is a day of judgment for many is a day of release for you. Then he tells them a parable about a fig tree. And the simple point of the parable is when you see a fig tree and leaf, you know it's almost summer, right? When your dogwood start to bloom, Right? My river birch trees start to get the little green on them. I know it's coming, man. So, so what? Disciples, when you see all these things happen, when you see the terrors, the armies surrounding Jerusalem, when the temple comes down, when people are fleeing, and all this suffering occurs, know this. The kingdom of God has come near. When he, Jesus sent his disciples out, in his name, and they went out healing the sick. Jesus' earthly ministry was really, you could sum it up in one sentence, the primary message was the kingdom has come near, and that proclamation was coupled with demonstration. The kingdom has come near, and the sick were healed. The lame walked, the blind eyes were opened, the dead were raised, and the demon eyes were set free. So what did the disciples learn by this point? The kingdom coming near looks like that. And now Jesus is telling them, when this judgment comes, know this, the 
kingdom of God has come near. What's he saying? We've talked about this. The kingdom of God is not an entity unto itself. It's the rule of Yahweh. The kingdom is him. The kingdom of God is God doing what he does, right? So what is he telling his disciples? Don't think that this is chaos. Don't think this is out of control. Don't think that everything's falling apart. Know this, the kingdom of God has come near to you. This is owing to the rule and reign of God Almighty. Number three, know this, this is the hard verse right here. Y'all ready for this one? No, this generation will see all these things. Got to do something with that. You know, people that make this text about the second coming, this is a problem verse. Because there's two things Jesus could mean by generation. The first, which is the, this is the how the term is used less in Scripture, is that it refers to a people group, a certain group of people. Luke 9, I think, and Luke 11, Jesus refers to people who were alive during the days of his earthly ministry as a wicked and perverse generation. He's not talking about a span of time there. He's talking about a particular group of people. You got it? Here's the way this word is primarily used in Scripture, is to refer to a literal 40-year period, a span of time, a literal 40-year period. Now, if Jesus is using it to refer to a specific group of people, then that means that what, whoever those people are and whatever time period they live in, they're going to experience all these things, which means this could be about the second coming. Here's why I have a problem with that. It does not square with Jesus' instruction. You don't be led astray. You don't be afraid. And you, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, you run. This is for them. And it's really difficult to get around that because if, if this was going to happen Thousands of years out in the future, why would he tell them? Why would he give them those instructions? They don't apply. Right? You got it? That's why it doesn't square to me. Here's the question at hand When, Lord? Temple's coming down. When? Doesn't it seem to make the most sense that if the disciples are asking when, that by the time Jesus gets to verse 42, he's giving them not a specific date. But he's saying, look, it's going to happen within the next 40 years. What I'm prophesying is going to happen in the next 40 years. And regardless of how you slice it, it did. The temple came down. Jerusalem was destroyed. People fled. Suffering ensued. Many died. I read you last week where the historian Josephus, if you don't want to take the Bible at its word, the historian Josephus said there were signs in the heavens that people saw. All of this is coming to pass. It happened. And I think when it happened, there was more going on than we could see. So when, number three, know this, guys. It's going to happen in your lifetime. Here's number four. 
Know that these words I speak are true. Oh, what a gift that verse is. Know that these words I speak are true. These words are a gift from Jesus to his disciples and to us because in their hearing of these words, in this moment, they are encouraged, they are strengthened. How many of you understand what a moment that must have been, even as terrible as that day was, that when they saw these things happening, this is just like Jesus said it would be. He must have been right that God is in control. The kingdom has come near. This would have emboldened them and encouraged them. All right, can y'all take two, three more verses? Then we'll go eat. Verse 34. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. That word earth also means land. On the face of the whole land. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. There's two instructions there. The first one is this. Don't treat my words with contempt. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. If you treat them with contempt, you're going to be tempted to squander your life. That's what that word dissipation means. It means squander, waste. If you don't take my words seriously, you're going to be tempted to squander and waste your life on drunkenness and the cares of this life slash anxiety. You're going to waste your life in drunkenness and worry, fret, anxiety. Don't treat my words with contempt. Take them seriously. And here's the second instruction. Stay awake through prayer. Stay awake through prayer. Verse 36. But instead of wasting your life and squandering it, Stay awake at all times, praying that you might have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. He instructs his followers to stay awake through prayer and to specifically ask for strength to endure and stand before him. This is Jesus' instructions to his followers when they ask, Lord, when is this going to happen? Now, 70 AD is in our rearview mirror, and the second coming is in our windshield. What do we do with this? I got four takeaways. Band, you can come. Here's number one. As we go through this life, with all its tragedy, turmoil, suffering, and devastation, we must realize there's more going on than we can see. And when you realize that, I was refreshed in this this week. When I know that, you know what that leads me into? Prayerful dependence. Because that's bigger than me. 
I, you know, I think spiritual warfare is a real thing. And I think sometimes Christians get a little too weird with that. But let's not let this pendulum swing back too far the other way and fail to realize there is more going on that we can see. And we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of dark places. Like, that's beyond us. So what do we need to do? We need to realize, first and foremost, that Jesus Christ, our King, has been given authority and dominion and a kingdom that will never end. God is in control. And as we wait for him, we must take his word seriously. I don't know, I come away from this text going, I don't want to waste a second of my life. We must take his word seriously and not succumb to the temptation to waste our lives on frivolous things or to succumb to the weight of anxiety. Anxiety is a real thing. I get it. I understand it. But God has not given us the spirit of fear, power, love, and a sound mind. Last thing, we must stay awake through prayer, trusting his word and praying for strength to endure. Know this, folks. Jesus would never instruct us to pray for strength if it wasn't God's intention to give it to us. There's sometimes that I come to prayer and I'm, I'm not sure exactly what it is the Lord wants to do, but there's some things I can pray and know for certain are in direct line with his will. And one of those is strength. One of those is to increase my faith and refresh me in the knowledge he's in control. Another of those is to, Lord, help me absorb, let me digest your word not treat your words with contempt, but hold on to them. And as I wait for you, to trust you're working all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Jesus Christ will return. And I frankly, I don't know what all is between us and that. Could some of this? Probably. Will we see more nations rising against nations and kingdom against kingdom? Yeah. We know something about pestilence now, don't we? All the groans. The persecution? Could we get questioned? Could some of us die? Yeah. But don't treat his words with contempt. Waste your life, and when a day like that comes, it catch you off guard what he told his disciples don't let it catch you off guard like a trap stay awake through prayer through dependence on his word amen all right let's stand just sing a little bit of that Stephen whatever you want and I'm gonna pray Lord I ask that this song would be our prayer it would be a prayer of, Lord, voicing our dependence on you and trust in you. Seeing, Jesus, how you, you gave such an incredible set of instructions and words of encouragement. You told the truth. You prophesied. 
about what was ahead for the disciples. And I think at the end of it all, their joyful dependence on you went up. I pray the same would happen for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Resurrection Church. Please visit resfaith.com. That's R-E-Z-Faith.com, where you can find more sermon archives, learn more about our church, and find a place to give to our ministry. We'd be glad to hear from you. Drop us an email at connect at resfaith.com.